I invite you to turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus. We're going to continue our study this morning with the people of Israel, walking with the people of Israel through the wilderness, Uh, even though they uh, won't move physically from Mount Sinai, at least for the rest of our time in this book. But we've come to Exodus 25, uh, where Moses is on the mountain, and that's a a fairly good summary of these next several chapters, just Moses on the mountain, uh, receiving instructions from the Lord. Uh, chapters 25 through 31, he's, he's receiving the plans, the blueprints for this tabernacle and the furniture that is going to go into the tabernacle and the garments that the priests uh, will wear. Um, so Israel's going to be about this building project. They've got a, a, a large project in front of them. But then instead of getting right down to it, when Moses descends from the mountain, uh, the building project is put on hold. Chapters 32 through 34 is a major mess that we'll get to there. But then construction begins of the tabernacle and the articles in chapters 35 through 40. So over the next few months, we're going to take these parallel sections together. The instruction, the plans given uh, to Moses for the people, and then the actual construction uh, by the people. Uh, So admittedly, we're going to read some... um, material again. There's going to be some repetition in what we read. Try not to check out at that point. I know it's easy uh, to do. Um, but once we get, you know, this repetition means it's, it's important, right? Anytime we see that in the scriptures, this is where God is saying, pay attention. Uh, this is something uh, that, that you need uh, to hear, builds a suspense in, in where we're going. So I'll start with the first nine verses of chapter 25. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel, that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution you shall receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns, and fine twined linen, goats' hair, tan rams' skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense. Onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all its furniture, so you shall make it. And then ahead now to chapter 35, beginning at verse 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goats' hair, tan rams' skin and goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breastpiece." So this is God's Word, a very lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Let's pray. Lord God, we do pray that You would work this Word to perform it. We know You are doing so and You will do so in the hearts of Your people in these moments. Lord, may we trust in this, trusting in the work of Your Holy Spirit to apply this Word to our hearts and to our lives. Lord, forgive us when we presume to do this ourselves. 
And so we ask that you would speak faithfully now through your word, through your servant, block out that which is unhelpful. And open our hearts, Lord. We might have a spirit of generosity for your generous love toward us in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, what, what moves us to give? Something I've been thinking about uh, over the last week. Uh, you've no doubt heard about the fire uh, in this famous cathedral of Notre Dame in France. It happened uh, just under uh, two weeks ago now. Thankfully, the majority of the cathedral was spared, uh, but there was significant damage to this, uh, to this structure, a structure that was started in 1183. Uh, completed after about 400 years of, of building. So there, there is a ton of history, of church history attached to this uh, cathedral. But it's also just an architectural marvel. Has anyone been to Notre Dame in France? Yeah. Architectural marvel? Yeah. And this, is, this thing is incredible. Um, I heard a snippet on the news that they estimate around 30,000 people a day will just go and visit, or did visit, uh, the cathedral in Notre Dame. Um, so th- this is a significant you know, landmark um, for the nation of France, but really internationally. These people who come to visit aren't necessarily coming to pray or to worship, but to see something that is so, you know, so internationally known. And it's been estimated that since the fires, this is less than two weeks, they've raised over a billion dollars to help rebuild uh, this cathedral um, back to its former glory. And that's where the challenge is. What does that former glory look like now? But I think you know, that is a significant contribution uh, to something that happened really not that long ago. But, but it tells us something. It tells us that the resources are there they can be made available. So it's not really the, the resources that's driving the contribution, but the desire behind it. Okay, there's a perceived value here or need that drives this giving. And, you know, if we don't see the need or the value, if we don't have a vested interest in something, we're far less likely to um, contribute. But if we have been influenced affected personally by someone or something in a good way, then we're much more likely to contribute. I'm a case in point for this. This last week, cleaning out my inbox and came to an email from the Arkansas Symphony Orchestra. And it was their online giving day. And they had some large donors who were you know, matching the gifts that were given. And if you have a first-time giver, then, then there's even more to, to contribute. So I decided, I'm, I'm going to give a little bit to the Symphony Orchestra because I value what is there about the education programs and the lessons and the performances. I think there's great value to our community and human flourishing and building a taste for music that's found a few other places. Um, so I gave. I wanted to give. It was important to me. Um, so why should the people of Israel want to give toward the building of the tabernacle? What should they give? And you know, thankfully, we find some answers here for Israel and for the church today. They need to know what to contribute. We need to know what we're to offer uh, to the Lord. Uh, so we find there's 
There really is a good motivation, a proper motivation here. There's a collective ministry here among the people and specific uh, materials as well. And one of the most beautiful things about this passage is that the people are actually doing what God instructed them to do through, through Moses. That's refreshing in itself. That's not what we've come to expect from the people. And even though in, in the previous chapter they've responded, we'll do all the words that the Lord commands us, you know, they're dancing around the golden calf before too long. But here there's no arguing, no complaining. They'll give because they want to give. The Lord told Moses that these contributions were to be voluntary. 25 verse 2, again in uh, 35.5. So it's not a tax that the Lord is requiring. This isn't price of admission to enter into this covenant relationship. These items were to be given freely from the heart. Notice how this is emphasized in the chapter. Let's go through some of this. Verse 20. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating the offering of gold to the Lord. Now down to uh, verse 26. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goats' hair. Verse 29, all the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. Free will. They wanted to give. It was their choice to give. And from what we've said about giving, there must have been a vested interest Something that compelled them to give. And I don't think we have to, to think too hard about what that might be. Now consider for just a moment what the people have received, what they've been given by God. They have been, they continue to be on the receiving end of God's generosity. He's heard their cries for mercy. He's delivered them from slavery in Egypt. He's gone before them and guiding them through the wilderness. He's protected them from the, the onslaught of, of the Egyptians. He's provided food in the wilderness. He's made covenant with them. He's given them His law unto life. And by the time they make all of this offering, He spared them in their idolatry. So the people are compelled by the grace and mercy shown to them by God. That's, that's the right motivation. They were grateful. And that was a privilege to give back to God uh, what He'd given to them. And this is where we see the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit enabling, uh, moving in the heart to respond to God's grace. And we learn later that they're going to give more than what was needed for the tabernacle. They gave over an abundance which is usually how it works in free will offerings, right? If our youth are going to have a, you know, a breakfast fundraiser for RYM or the, the Presbytery Conference and they decide to have a flat rate of $5 for a breakfast, they're not going to make as much towards that as if it was a free will offering. Um, offering determined by the heart of the giver. Find another example of this in First Chronicles 29 when... 
uh, King David, people are bringing contributions to the construction of the temple now in Jerusalem. And David posed the question, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? And they gave such a huge amount that they could say this in verse 29, the people rejoiced because they, had, because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. They've been delivered, they've been provided for, and this grace of God leads to gratitude, a gratitude that's just exercised in their giving. So as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have a very... We have a proper and very powerful motivation to contribute, give back to the work of the Lord. You know, even as I say those words, church of the Lord Jesus Christ, there, there's all the motivation just sort of packed into that phrase, into our very identity. It's the humility and sacrifice of Jesus that has freed us from the slavery of sin. He became poor for our sakes that we might become rich in God's grace, rich unto salvation. It's Jesus, our good shepherd, who leads us, protects us on this wilderness journey. His rod and his staff comfort us. It's Jesus who feeds us more of his word, the very bread of life. So where do our hearts go when we consider that kind of grace? And we believe that such amazing grace has been lavished upon us. My prayer is that our hearts would rejoice, overflowing with gratitude. That would be our motivation to give back, not reluctantly, but cheerfully, as Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 9. Now, we can give out of compulsion. We can give to the church because, well, that's what you're supposed to do. That's the right thing to do. That's what everybody else is doing. And sometimes we do need to discipline ourselves and be about the work that our hearts may follow. I think we'll kind of talk more about that. But, but true generosity can only come from hearts that have been changed by the grace of God. So let me encourage you here, do a little, wherever you take your pulse, do a little spiritual pulse check. You know, checking for vitals. Generous giving is one of the indicators of spiritual health. So if we, if we have little desire to give or we're not contributing at all, then as Christians, we're, we're not growing. In fact, we may very well be dying on the vine. The Scottish pastor Robert Murray McShane, uh, in time he sensed just kind of a lack of generosity among uh, the people in uh, the congregation that he was a part of. So during one of his sermons, I don't even know what text he was preaching from at this point. Here's what he said. I'm concerned for the poor, but more for you. I know not what Christ will say to you in the great day. I fear there are many hearing me who may know well that they are not Christians because they do not love to give. To give largely and liberally, not grudgingly at all, requires a new heart an old heart would rather part with its lifeblood than its money. Oh, my friends, enjoy your money. Make the most of it. Give none away. Enjoy it quickly. For I can tell you, you will be beggars throughout eternity. Whoa. That'll wake you up. Now, unlike McShane, I don't 
Uh, I don't feel a weak pulse on the, on the generosity of, of Trinity Fellowship. Uh, but that's a strong and helpful reminder for us. You know, giving us one of those vital signs of a heart that's been made new by the grace of God. So you may think at this point, well, you know, huh, I, I don't, I'm not always excited to give you know, or look forward you know, for, for more ways to give. You know, I can't wait till we pass the plate on Sunday. Maybe we can do it twice. Just burn a hole in my pocket. Uh, I get that. Okay, I'm there most of the time with you in that. So it's important for us to remember that giving freely and generously, they're not disconnected from obedience. The people said, all the word of the Lord we will do. And then this word was, give from the heart. So we can be instructed to give and give from the heart at the same time. Duty, delight. Duty and delight are not a contradiction for the Christian. They go together in our worship and our service to the Lord. Delighting in our contribution, though we may not always feel that way, that's an act of obedience, faithfulness uh, to God's Word. And I, I think our worship, our worship in general, is a good example of this. Um, you know, the Lord instructs us how to worship. We are bound by His Word. There is a form to our worship. We've been going through it this morning. But there's, there's freedom that comes with that. And, and, and you know, typically, any, any form and structure in worship, we think if there's form, it, it douses all freedom sort of the moving of the Spirit in our midst. But the Lord shows His people, He shows us over and over again, in obedience, in our duty, there is delight. Because we delight in Him, it's Jesus. We want to honor Him in all things. So we're commanded to give and we give freely out of gratitude to God. So with this motivation in place, the contributions become a shared ministry for the people. We read in 3521, that the contributions were to be used for the tent of meeting, for all its service, and for the holy garments. So this was for the building project, but also for all the, the operating of the tabernacle. So by giving generously on the front end, um, the people, people could be a part of this uh, operation. They could participate in the work. And I think there's another marvelous grace of God. The Lord does not need anything from His people. As we've just prayed. He doesn't need their gift. It all belongs to Him anyway. Most of what the people are giving are what they have taken from Egypt that the Lord enabled them to plunder from the Egyptians. So it's all His, but He allows them to give back as an act of worship. He doesn't have to do this. He wants the hearts of His people. His concern is more, infinitely more, with their relationship than with the relics and with the stuff. We get this. We understand this. Okay, when, when, when you're a child or you're, you're a younger person now and you want to give a gift to mom or dad on their birthday or, or for Christmas or something, and you have that special thing in mind, you know exactly what it is you want to give, where does the money come from to do that? Typically... It's coming from mom or dad. Right? And from my experience, parents don't often balk at this. Maybe I just have limited experience. But typically, they don't. 
because, because of what this is offering to their relationship with their kids. They delight in this. It's an expression of love. The Lord enables the Israelites to contribute. He enables us to express our love in this way. I think what Paul shares in Acts 17, in that well-known address to the Athenians and the Areopagus, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything, since He Himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He's given us all things in Christ and now allows us to cooperate in that work. Not all of, the, all of the Israel were priests, but they were cooperating in the priesthood through their contributions. We may not all be ministers in the church from the way that we understand that, how that term is used, but we participate in the ministry of the ministers who have been called to serve in that way. So this is what Paul has in mind when he writes to the Philippians. He thanks them for their partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Literally a fellowship, an intentional involvement in the work. I think this month we've been highlighting the work of Dal and Hazel Ferris in the Atlanta area. We don't see them very often. Many of you probably don't even know who they are or have even met them. But we pray for them. And we support them with our gifts. We have a partnership in the work of the Presbyterian Reform Commission and Chaplains where we can actually say, that's our work. That's our service. And it's a privilege to participate in that. So all the people come together in Israel, men and women sharing in the giving to the tabernacle. So we see that the partnership includes all the church. None are excluded from contributing in some way. And that really moves nicely into this last point. What did they give? What materials are given to the Lord? And so they're giving back from uh, this provision um, that they've taken from, from Egypt, m- most likely. We'll look closer at how these items were used in the future. But the summary here, we have metals, we have fabrics, le- uh, and then uh, leathers listed in the order of how valuable they are. The most expensive down to least expensive. And then we have the wood, oil, spices, and stones for the priestly attire. These are not your typical everyday household items. These are the treasures. This is the fine china, or the the fine Egyptian that the people are offering. But everyone could give something of value. If a family didn't possess the the precious metals or yarns, maybe they could provide some wood or goat skins. It was all useful toward the sanctuary. And this was an important building project. This was the, the sacred space among the people. And what would make it sacred? It would be the Lord's very presence. This was His holy residence. A place where He was to be worshipped. We said the Lord doesn't need the people's gifts. Uh, we could also say He doesn't need a sanctuary. He doesn't need a place to dwell. Think of the covenant that the Lord makes with David in 2 Samuel 7. David is distressed that the Ark of the Covenant is is in a tent while he's cozy in his house. So he determines to build a house for the Lord. If it's for the Ark, then that would make it a holy house, a sanctuary. 
And this is how the Lord responds to David. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel? whom I commended to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? The Lord of all creation does not need a house. He doesn't need to be confined to a sanctuary, but his people, his people need this. They need a place to see and be reminded of his presence with them. And a sanctuary with these items, with these special items, you know, it's a continual reminder of the Holy One in their midst. A reminder of who he is. And so they contribute these material resources, but chapter 35 says there's more. They gave their time, their skills to the work. Verse 22, So they came, both men and women, all who were of willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects. Every man dedicated an offering of gold to the Lord. And everyone who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns of fine linen or goat's hair or tans ran. Let's skip down to verse 25. And every skillful woman spun with her hands. And they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goats' hair. They used their skills in service to the sanctuary. Not everyone could spin the yarn or the linen, but those who could did because it was an offering to the Lord. You know, it's really neat to see how the Lord uses the varied gifts of His people in the church. Men and women, for His glory, building up the church on the work of the Spirit. And we give out of what has been entrusted to us, and so that makes all gifts essential for the building up of the body. I think we find in the Law of Moses, there's something to mention here in Leviticus 27, that the people... We're given the a law to, to tithe, to give a tenth uh, to the Lord that would be used to support the Levites and the work of uh, the temple. But when we get to the New Testament, life under the new covenant in Christ, there's no more tithe. There's no percentage that is required of the Christian to give. Or to give willingly, joyfully. And so the tithe has been used as this helpful guide now for Christians. You can think of it as a baseline or a floor for our giving. You hear me say a lot of time, mostly because it's just ingrained in my mind, you know, ushers come forward to receive our tithes and offerings. Well, what does that mean? Receive our baseline, our tenth as a guide, and then any more that we can give beyond that because that's the desire of our hearts. Let's go beyond that. But the tithe, that, that percentage is really helpful because it means that $10 for one person could be the equivalent of $100 for another, depending on the Lord's provision. And you say, well, I, I can't contribute 10% of my income or the, you know, my gross to the church. I won't be able to pay the bills. I won't be able to put gas in the car. Go to my favorite restaurant. Okay. Um, then contribute what the Lord lays on your heart to give and pray that He would enable you to give more. 
this, the Lord rewards this. He rewards the, the sacrificial posture of his people. Just a beautiful story here of how um, the Temple Baptist Church, one of the most well-known churches in Philadelphia, came into being almost at the turn of the century. Now it'll, it'll seat about 3,000 people. The turn of the century, um, Dr. Conwell was the pastor of this little church in Philadelphia, and it was packed out Sunday after Sunday. And he came to church one morning, and there was a little girl crying on the steps out front of the church. And he, he knew right away what was going on. And uh, so he scooped her up. She couldn't find a place in the church. And so he brought her inside and put her right up front uh, for that class. Um, not long after, within a couple of years after that incident, this little girl became very ill and she died. And as her parents were going through her things, which were very few, they found a little purse with 57 cents inside and a handwritten note with that 57 cents that said, this is to help build the little church bigger so that more children can go to Sunday school. So Dr. Conwell took that note to the to leaders of the church. This story, this word got out, and a realtor in the community offered a, a big plot of land worth thousands of dollars, and he took the 57 cents as a down payment. So the, the gifts just came pouring in. Within, what was it? Five years, they'd raised $250,000, an incredible amount of money for that time. And that's what became uh, Temple Baptist Church. Small, sacrificial gift of love. How are you using the gifts that the Lord's given you? Service to Him, service to others. You know, we give generously, willingly. I mean, just stand back. Stand back and watch what the Lord will do. There's a little devotional, something our denomination has put out. All things come from you. This actually uh, comes from 1 Chronicles 29. We have several copies of this on the table in the entryway if you're interested to uh, study this topic some more. For some of you, that's all I would have to say. For others of you, you need to be challenged. Um, so I dare you. I dare you. I dare us as a church to work through something like this and to seriously apply its application. See what the Lord might do. So we're motivated by God's grace, shared ministry, using the materials that He's entrusted to us. But here's where it gets even better. The Lord could have snapped His fingers and, you know, tabernacle, right there. You could have dropped a prefab tabernacle right in the desert. But he doesn't do that. He gets the people involved, they participate, invites them to share in this construction. But the day would come, the day has now come, when the Lord would do all the construction and all the work Himself. His presence among the people, His holy sanctuary, would come in the flesh of His only Son. Jesus is the head. He's the cornerstone of the church that he fills with his spirit. And that construction work, you know, the building materials for that construction work, it's all in this room right now. It's you. It's me. We are the living stones in the house of the Lord. 
Listen to what Peter says in his first letter. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Christ the cornerstone, rejected by men, chosen of God, is building His church with people from all nations. It should be our desire that more living stones be added to the sanctuary, the household of the living God. So let's consider our, our spiritual sacrifice or offerings to the Lord. And I can think of no greater motivation than this. A grace freely given so that we can freely give. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for your word, a word that inspires, encourages us, admonishes us, teaches us. We might walk faithfully with you, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to you. Lord, we thank you for what you've entrusted to us. And immediately our minds go to the material resources, but we know it's so much more than this. And the use of our time, the use of our skills, the use of our education. Guide us, Lord. Renew that motivation. Refresh it in us for the grace that you've given to us, lavishly poured out in Christ, who is our cornerstone. It's on him that we lean. And we pray in his name. Amen.